This is Waddle and Sylvie, live from the Old National Bank State Street Studio. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. WMVP WSHE HD2 Chicago. A good karma brand's radio station. The contract that they gave Rodgers, you know, it says three years, 150. So in your mind, it's like $50 million a year, all of this guaranteed, like they're sunk. They're not idiots. Like, they know that Aaron Rodgers is kind of a flighty personality right now. Betting your future on Aaron Rodgers comes with some risks, and that's built into the contract. So by the start of the season next year, they have to decide whether they're going to pick up Aaron Rodgers' $58 million option. If they don't do that, they can trade him. And the way that they can break up the salary is it'd be $16 million next year, and it'd be $24 million the year after that debt on the cap. You can survive that, especially when you have a rookie quarterback contract. And that's what they would have with Jordan Love. That was all the way back in November. And wouldn't you know it, Robert Mays, who does great work. He's got a big football brain. He does for uh, the athletic football show. And a great writer for The Athletic. Um, Wouldn't you know it, Adam Schefter, this report, then we'll bring in Mays to talk more about this. But he was the first who I'd ever heard say about a trade. And whenever we brought that back up, everyone's like, no, 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 no. Aaron Rodgers isn't going to get traded. And I'm like, well, Mays is really, really good. Mays knows his stuff. Mays wouldn't throw that out there if if it's not possible. And um, and sure enough, like three or four months later, whatever it's been, um, here in late January, Adam Schefter went on the air on Countdown on Saturday. And uh, this is what he said about the possibility for Aaron Rodgers. This will be the third straight offseason in which Aaron Rodgers' future is the subject of much speculation. But make no mistake, both sides are fully aware that a trade is a very real scenario this offseason for Aaron Rodgers. The Packers are expected to move on from certain players, which Aaron Rodgers probably will not like. The issue here will be the $110 million left on his contract and which team could afford it. But there is a real possibility that at some point this offseason, Aaron Rodgers is going to be traded. Meanwhile... All right, and so that was the front end, and then he went into some other stuff about uh, Tom Brady and everything else, but that was... The main thing, and it caught a lot of people uh, by surprise regarding Aaron Rodgers. But again, it just shows you how in tune Robert Mays is from The Athletic and does great work on his show. And he uh, joins us again on the Waddle and Sylvie Show. Mays, how you feeling today? Doing okay. Fun weekend of football. It's it's that time of year. It's a lot, but it's it's a heck of a time. Oh, it's it's a beautiful time. That's for sure. It gets depressing, though. Waddle and I were reflecting on this on Friday when there were seven left. But now when we go and we're like, there's only three games left, it's a little depressing, isn't it? Uh, I actually love it because when we do our prep for the, our preview podcasts, and it just gets on top of you real fast. Because when there are six games, it's like, i got to watch how many games to prep for this? Like Six teams, two games, it just, it just gets completely out of hand. So getting to focus on two games this Sunday between arguably the four best teams in the league. I like that it narrows the focus a little bit. Don't dismiss also the USFL starts quickly after. So oh, uh, I, yeah. You guys are sickos, and I appreciate you, but I will not be watching a single second of the USFL. Yeah. I, may, I may turn it on, but I'm not, I, I will, will dismiss it. it. I will. Yeah, yeah, I will dismiss it. Um, all right, May. so let's go to the Schefter report and something that you brought up to us. What do you think the realistic possibility of the Packers trading Aaron Rodgers is? 
I think it seems realistic. I mean, the financials of it make sense, you know, like I laid out there, which I'm glad you guys replayed that, so I got to remember what the details were because I don't have those just bouncing around in my head. The I understand if you're Green Bay because at a certain point, I think you don't really want to do this anymore. You know, he's 38 years old, I believe. You know, I know obviously you played at an MVP level for you know two of the last three years. You've been a really, really good team, but at a certain point, you're going to need to turn the page. That's going to happen, and you have a guy on the roster that you're going to have to make a decision about here pretty soon. And I don't know what they're going to do with Jordan Love's fifth-year option with the potential Rodgers move hanging over them. It just There's a lot to untangle, and I can understand if you're Green Bay just saying, you know what, now is the time. You know, we didn't make the playoffs this year. This is a team that we feel like we can retool a little bit, but we can't necessarily run every aspect of it back. They're just in a tough spot, and they have been for the last couple of years. And if you're Brian Gunkus, I can un- understand just looking at the entire landscape of this and saying, it's time. It gets time for us to just move on, hit reset, and figure out whatever the next chapter of this looks like. Uh, Waddle and I are on the opposite ends of this as Bears fans about how we feel as Bears fans. For me, I want the Packers to have Aaron Rodgers next year. And I say this because, A, the Bears aren't still going to be very good. So I want them to drag their feet on getting on with their next guy. I, I want them to be stuck in the middle. Because if they go move on to Jordan Love, there may be a chance that they may stink. And maybe they will be in competition to have a high draft pick next year and find their solution. If Rodgers is there, there's a better chance of them being 9-8, and 8-9 eight, eight again, being stuck in the middle, trying to figure out who their solution is, maybe push down the road even further. Um, Waddle thinks there's a better chance that if they keep them that they are good. As a Bears fan, Maze, who do, what do you want them to do if you're rooting? I like where your head's at. I also think that if they keep him, they might be more inclined to make some risky financial decisions in order to get the most out of next year's roster and potentially appease him. So I feel like there's a couple different things in play there. I don't think the Bears are going to be good enough next year to worry about being competitive with the Packers in any respect. So I'd be more concerned with them hamstringing themselves for the long term than anything else. Who could actually take on that contract? And what do you believe, Robert, would be the value of him in a trade? What would the Packers get back? It's a great question. I think the first question is more teams than you think. Because based on my understanding of the financials, if a team trades for him, I believe it's after June 1st, I think he only has a $16 million cap hit this year. And let me interject this real quick, Robert. You probably know this much better than I. You could trade him before June 1st, but with a June 1st designation, right? Can't you get around that these days? I don't believe so. You can't, okay. I think that with a trade, it's different than a cut. Gotcha. By by cutting someone, you can designate someone as a post-June 1st cut before that gotcha. uh, for salary cap purposes. I do not think that's the case with the trade. I, I might be wrong about that, but I, I think that's true. So you'd have to wait a little bit longer, which is going to be a question because obviously a team probably wants to know whether he's going to be their quarterback before that. But if you trade for him after that date, I believe it's only a $16 million cap hit this year and it's a $32 million cap hit next year. It goes up much higher than that in year three, but the dead money left on the deal after two years is probably palatable if you wanted to move on. He has, a, I believe, $20 million total in signing bonus that the Packers owe him over the next couple of years, so that's why he would be cheaper for a team acquiring him than he would be for Green Bay. So if you're a team with draft capital and you want a two-year window to get the most out of it, 
I think it's more than tolerable what you'd have to pay him against the cap. It becomes a question of how much you want to give up in picks. And, I mean, it feels like it'd be at least a first round, probably two, to go get him, and then you have to ask if that's worth it. So, like, the Jets, the Titans, that's perhaps? That's keep coming back to. Yeah? What about the Titans? Yeah, potentially. I, the Titans are in such an interesting spot. I mean, with everything that's going on with their offensive staff and kind of how they're retooling, you know, they almost seem like they're in this transition period where they're going to have to remake a lot of that offense. You know, if you look at Taylor Luan's contract, they can get out from under it after this season. I guess it already is after this season, but they can get out from under it for nothing this year. You know, their offensive line is, you know, really unproven slash uncertain. I believe that Ben Jones might be a free agent. They're starting center. Other than that, they don't really have any established starters. Their right tackle was a rookie third-round pick this year who didn't play very well. They don't really have any playmakers outside of Traylon Burks. Like They're not this ready-made team with Aaron Rodgers. With the Jets, it's easier to make that argument. You know, you have Elijah Moore. You have – who's the first round? Garrett Wilson, I'm sorry. You have Garrett Wilson. You have an offensive line that – needs to be better, but you have the guys in-house, theoretically. We'll see what happens with Mekhi Becton, but they've signed a couple guys on the interior. You know, I think they're a play caller and a quarterback away from being a really competitive team, and I think the timeline would have to look something like that if you were going to make a move like this. I'd like so to that's s- why a team like the Jets makes the most sense. Yeah, I'd like to see Aaron Rodgers and Mike Vrabel go at it for an entire season. I wonder the dynamic that it would exist between the two of them in, in Nashville. It's a great question. Yeah, it's a great question. I, if, if Aaron Rodgers, you watch Aaron Rodgers practice; like it's a pretty, it's pretty serious business. I think yeah. that's kind of what's important to Mike Grable is part of the reason that the Julio Jones relationship didn't go super great because Julio, at that stage in his career with his body, I don't think uh, going hard to practice every day was his favorite thing. But with Rodgers, I think that, that dynamic might be a little bit more tolerable on both sides. All right, what did you see this weekend that that excited you most or, or stuck with you the most? I think what Cincinnati did, you know, having three offensive linemen out and them looking like the team that was better equipped up front on both sides of the ball, I thought was pretty incredible. And their ability to kind of be this team at this stage, go back and you look at the beginning of the season, the first month of the season, I was worried. I was worried that they looked at the offseason and said, all we need to do is have minor upgrades at three offensive line spots and we're going to be just fine. Nothing else needs to change. And it felt like all of the ills that they had beyond the offensive line talent were showing up. They had this siloed offense where every time they were under center, they'd run the ball, and their run game was really predictable. And I was like, man, this could be a disappointing season. And then in week five, they play the Ravens, and they undergo this pretty radical transition where they are essentially just playing from the shotgun. And they start folding in a lot more gap scheme runs, and they start to understand what their offensive line personnel should look like. And they're coming up with all of these kind of counters and haymakers to their established concepts on offense. And my opinion of their offensive staff and just the job that those guys have done did a total 180 from even where it was last year when they went to the Super Bowl. And I feel like what you saw yesterday was a culmination of that, where they really got to show some flourishes at the end with three backups in there and owning every aspect of the game. And on the other side of the ball, I think Lou Anarumo, their defensive coordinator, is as good as anybody. I mean, anybody in maybe the non-Bill Belichick kind of realm of things right now on that side of the ball. The game plan he trotted out yesterday, you combine that with what he did to Mahomes in last year's playoffs and what he's done to a bunch of really good quarterbacks over the last couple of years. I just could not be more impressed with 
the staff in place there and the quarterback that they have. I think he's real. I think he's going to be around for a very long time. We're talking non-Mahomes division. I, I think he's probably the guy I'd rather have next. And I just didn't think I would be saying that by the end of this year. But just, I think I have to now. Just a, kind of an observation on my behalf. Sylvia and I were on the same page with this. Don't recall I've ever seen a team with the game, you know, circumstances what they were. 40 seconds to go at the end of the first half. The Bengals are on their own 10 in those conditions. And they let Joe Cool rip it. And, I mean, they were lower-risk passes. I get it. He was getting the ball out to his running backs. But can you recall a scenario where something like It just shows you how confident they are in him and how confident he is. But do you recall seeing something like that in such an important game? No. And I think it speaks to how much control he had the entire game. It didn't really seem to matter what they were doing to him, what sort of late rotations he was seeing, what sort of disguises he was seeing. He's just so incredibly dialed in right now. It's unbelievable to watch. And the relationship that he has with that staff is really interesting. I think that they've given him a lot of ownership and leeway. If you look at the way the offense was built his rookie year, they really were just trying to let him operate in the same way he did at LSU to make him comfortable. And there were aspects of what they were trying to do last year that they just kind of threw in the trash can because he didn't want to do that. So I think they've really let him steer this thing. And even his kind of maturation and evolution in that way, where in the first month of the year, he was just getting bored. Teams are playing all this cover two against him and daring him to play quarterback and be patient. And, you know, he just wants it all the time, always. And, his willingness to say, you know what, if you're going to try to put me in this box, I'm just going to be the best possible quarterback in this box. And he's earned that trust because of the way that he's handled every single bump in the road like that. And they're super hot, and they're going to Kansas City, who they're 3-0 and against with Burrow as their quarterback. And now Mahomes has the high ankle sprain. Do you think Kansas City will have enough from Mahomes to beat them? I don't know if they'll have enough to beat them. I think they'll have enough to stay in the game. What I'm curious about is now how that dictates. Now we're getting way ahead of ourselves. We're still six days away, but how that dictates the way that Kansas City or the way that Cincinnati plays. Because if you teams played a lot of man coverage against the Chiefs all season because they just weren't afraid of their pass catchers. And outside of Travis Kelsey, why would you be? One of the biggest downsides of that is if you're playing man coverage on third down, he can devastate you scrambling. And if you're not worried about him moving around, does that change how aggressive you are in some of those moments? So I think that it makes you a little bit more one-dimensional in terms of how many ways he can hurt you, but he can still hurt you from the pocket. We saw that this weekend. So I think Patrick Mahomes, unable to move, is still probably like the second or third best quarterback in the league. (laughs) So I still think they have enough. It just depends on what the game ultimately looks like. How about the other game, the NFC title game, from a different number of angles, Robert? How about, you know, what the Eagles have done with Jalen Hurts, and should Bears fans be looking at that as kind of the blueprint for what they should be trying to do? And it may take some time, but that's what they should be able to do. And and what the 49ers have been able to do, getting back to the NFC title game for the third consecutive year, this time with a rookie who was the last pick of the draft. I think that the Jalen Hurts blueprint is obviously the best one, but you need to understand that the Bears are like two or three steps away from course, even yeah. where the Eagles right. were last year. Even last season, where they did not throw the ball very often and Devontae Smith was really was their best weapon, they still had Dallas Goddard, they still had Devontae Smith, and they still had arguably the best offensive line in football last year. And that's something they could just build upon. You know, Really, the only thing they needed to do on offense, personnel-wise, was go get A.J. Brown. 
other than that, this team was already ready-made, and then A.J. Brown was kind of the last piece to accelerate that final step or maybe the fourth of five steps for Jalen Hurts' development. The Bears are starting from square one, and it's going to be multiple years before they're even the 2021 Eagles. So even if it's kind of the shining light of how to do this, I still think that it's important to be realistic. But what they've done around him and just what they've done team-building-wise, period, the act of drafting Jalen Hurts when you already had Carson Wentz and saying, eh, maybe we give ourselves a little out here. Maybe we create a little trap door in this financially and we give ourselves an off-ramp if this Carson Wentz thing doesn't work out and what that's done for them. It's changed the entire trajectory of their franchise. The moves that they've made just subtly, moving back from the sixth overall pick in that 2020 draft or 2021 draft to go to 10 and pick up an extra first-round pick in the process and get Devontae Smith still instead of Jalen Waddle, and then have an extra first to go trade it for A.J. Brown. To trade another first and have that one this year that belongs to New Orleans. Like The amount of flexibility that that team creates and how often they're turning over rocks personnel-wise, Linval Joseph trading for C.J. Gardner-Johnson, going to get James Bradbury. Like, Howie Roseman is better at this than most people, and I think that you see the gains of that consistently. And they have arguably the best coaching staff in the league right now. The flexibility that they've shown. Flexibility is like the key word, and their ability to show that off all the time has made them a juggernaut. And then in San Francisco, it's insane. I mean, they have the best defense in the league. They've had the best defense in the league for the last couple of years. The personnel they have on that side of the ball is remarkable. And then what you look at on offense, the most impressive thing to me is that this is kind of like the final vision of what Kyle Shanahan wants and wanted to play with. And the evolution of Brandon Ayuk and the acquiring of Christian McCaffrey has allowed that to happen. If you go look at the offensive coaching staff that the Niners had in 2021 at the end of the season, and you look at it now, none of the assistants are the same. Half of them went to go work with Mike McDaniel in Miami. A couple retired. Kyle Shanahan turned over his entire offensive staff and with the last pick in the draft, has built arguably the most dangerous <laughs> offense in the league. It's crazy. Yeah. He is, he is a one-of-one one person. Yeah. And you are seeing that right now, and combined with arguably the best defense in the league. Guys, they have the, uh, the, Mr. Irrelevant is their starting quarterback. When the playoffs started, they were the betting favorites to come out of the NFC. He's going to lose. unbelievable. He's going to lose his second D.C. in the last three years, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that... His ability to refresh the pipeline with these guys has been really impressive. Eventually, I think, especially on the defensive side of the ball, brain drain will come for you because he can't stem the tide. On offense, he can just kind of be like, I'm at the center of this. Like, Even if the guys around me change, I can still carry the weight. On defense, I think that ultimately you're going to have one of these guys that's not quite as good as the others. But I guess we'll have to believe it when we see it because so far he's done just fine. Uh, do you have any free agent names for us for the Bears? As free agency starts, they've got the most cap room. Any guys on your radar that they should definitely pinpoint? The one guy that I think is really interesting, speaking of the Niners, and uh, this is like a one-tier-down guy, is Charles Amenahu, who was on the Texans, and the Niners traded for him mid-season last year, late late in the season. I want to say it was like a sixth-round pick. Really long and he plays inside-outside for San Francisco. If you look at his like rate stats, so pass rush win rate, all that kind of stuff, they're promising. And because he has that inside-outside versatility, there used to be a thing that John Hollinger used to talk about called the Millsap Doctrine in basketball analytics, where 
if you have high efficiency numbers with fewer minutes, when you crank up those minutes, the efficiency should theoretically stay. So when you have these pass rushers that are part-time players, you hope that if you increase their role, they be, they're still a version of the same player. So he'd be a guy I'd find interesting in that way. James Bradbury is a free agent. You know, James Bradbury, I think, is going to be 29. I thought he was fantastic this year. So guys like that that maybe aren't at the top, top of the market but are still worth going after, I would worry about guys like Deron Payne. You know, the, the contracts where you're resetting the positional market because you're a 25-year-old former first-round pick whose team can't retain him because of ways they've spent elsewhere, that gets a little bit worrying to me. So I wouldn't want to shop for the most expensive guys possible. I'd want to find the right guys, and I assume Ryan Poles is thinking about it that way too. Robert, would you be concerned at all about Amenahu because he's on a line of so many talented players that ultimately he's the beneficiary of not being focused on as much as some of the others? Not necessarily. I think that when you talk to guys there and when, when you hear them talk about it, a lot of why they're unlocked in San Francisco is because of the way that they're coached. I remember Samson Ebukam, who is on that team now, and he actually came from Los Angeles. He was on the Rams for his rookie contract. In training camp this year, he was talking about how playing for Chris Kasurik, who's the defensive line coach in San Francisco, he's like, if I had this guy from day one, my career would have been entirely different. And even guys who have been good there and moved on have still had some success. You know, you watch Arden Key and what he was like for the Jags this year, and I thought he was a really useful player. And obviously there's a line in the sand that you don't want to go above for any of these free agents, but if a man who's looking for rotational pass rusher money, you know, guys like that are who I'd be after. If you look at the history of free agency and contracts that ultimately end up being successful, like middle-round plug-and-play starter contracts are typically where you're happiest. Every once in a while, there are exceptions, like the Hassan Reddick contract this year being the most obvious one. But even that is a $15 million a year deal. Nick Bosa is about to make $30 million a year as he resets the edge rusher market. So I'd be looking to shop in that aisle over the who's the most expensive guy right. that I can find. Uh, the, there's another name. I'm not a Mike McGlinchey guy. I'm not an offensive line expert. But he's going to be a name out there as a free agent. What are your thoughts on McGlinchey? I think he's been up and down. You know, he's also been dealing. He's also dealt with a lot of injuries. Um, for his career, even if he's been on the field, he's had some nagging stuff to deal with. Um, there are some other offensive linemen I think I'd potentially be more interested in on the market. Yash Iman is, is the, probably the guy I would point to. I mean, he's somebody that has played left tackle in the NFL at a fairly high level. Those guys don't really become available. The only reason he is is because he plays on a team with David Bakhtiari. And that'll depend on what you think of Braxton Jones and whether you want him to be a left tackle moving forward, all that kind of stuff. But I think the, the offensive line group is interesting if you're looking for the right type of guys. If you're looking for those 7 to $8 million a year players who are just starters for you because you don't want any weak links, I think that's a smart way to build a unit like that. All right, and before we let you go, as Robert Mays joins us, uh, who are the Bears going to trade down with? Make your prediction today as... You know, you, you were all over the the uh, Rodgers trade possibility. Who are the Bears trading with? It'll depend on what they ultimately want to do and where they see the, the talent drop-offs in the draft as. You know, if they're sitting there looking at, because teams are good at this, teams are good at tiering where the talent drops in the draft are. So if they think we have to leave this draft with Jalen Carter or Will Anderson no matter what, then I don't think you want to go down further than four. I don't love that line of thinking, but I can understand why a team would do that. So if that's the case, 
then maybe it's the Colts. If it's not, and you're a team like Carolina, do you think we need to go get our guy this year? Like, this is the year we can do this. We have extra draft picks in the McCaffrey trade. Like, let's go take a huge swing for our new coach. Then I think that would be the other team I would come back to. But the Colts and the Panthers feel like the two most logical ones. And finally, finally, where is your optimism level with Justin Fields and the Bears quarterback? I want to see what happens. I want, I want to see what happens with better players. That, that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I, I've always been worried about the internal clock mechanism and the amount of sacks he takes. That is something that a quarterback owns more than people like to admit, is how you create your own pressure. And I think that it is an underlying skill. For everyone that's trying to make comparisons with Justin Fields, and some of the other quarterback development success stories that we've seen over the last couple of years, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts. Go look at the sack rates for Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts, even when they weren't playing quarterback very well, even when the other numbers weren't great and the passing statistics weren't good. It was still a lot better than what you're looking at with Justin Fields. So that still gives me pause, even when you consider how bad the surroundings were. I want to see if that issue can start to be mitigated if you have receivers he trusts if you have an offensive line that can function so i'm curious i'm obviously excited by a lot of the stuff he did but i think that there's still a lot of stuff you'd want to see if you were a bears fan and if you were the bears organization give me like a huge punch in the face this entire interview <laughs> and it's going to be years before they turn around and <laughs> you want honesty from him yeah, no, i love that's why i love nays look it's 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 all great food for thought Robert, great stuff. Keep up the good work, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk before the Super Bowl. Thanks, Robert. Absolutely. Talk to you guys anytime. All right. There you go, Robert Mays. Good stuff. Uh, and and it, I think we could build on the conversation about like how far the Bears could be away at five. Because um, we've got the good, the bad, the dirty coming up. I pulled up some standings from a couple years ago, too. I think... There's some interesting stuff there. If you want to weigh in, 312-332-3776. We'll get into our observations from the weekend with the good, the bad, the dirty. It's coming up next. Waddle and Sylvie are back. Are back. Follow the show on Twitter at Waddle and Sylvie and at T Waddle 87. This is ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. The good. It's gone! Oh my god! The bad. That is so bad, that is absolutely brutal. And the dirty. I'm talking about nasty. Uh, wow. So many stories are running through my head right now. Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN Chicago. That's right, it's the good, the bad, the dirty. We'll go around the room. We'll recap uh, everything that happened in the sports weekend or anything else. Looking for my sponsor sheet. Tyler, do I have a sponsor sheet for this? Uh, there's no sponsor for okay. this one. So uh, just wanted to make sure. And uh, it's one thing good, one thing bad, one thing dirty that we experience in sports or anything else. Waddle kick us uh, off. My good was the Bengals makeshift. I said makeshift offensive line. You heard Robert Mays talking about it. It three backup offensive linemen. Uh, out there in Buffalo this weekend. They own the line of scrimmage. The Bengals rushed for 172 yards on five yards per carry average. And Joe Burrow was sacked one time for a loss of two yards. 
offensive line for the Cincinnati Bengals made it possible for Joe Cool to go out yeah. there and do his thing. Boomer said this on the pregame show. I thought it was good. He said snow games a lot of times slows down the defensive pass rush more than anything else. Do you know what else I think it does for people? And, and I think we saw it quite a bit on both sides. I also think cornerbacks are reluctant to get out of their back pedal because they realize if they turn and they open their hips and they plant and have to come back, it's harder to do so. So what they do is they have a tendency to not not turn their hips, to not get out of their back pedal. And if you saw whether it was Stephon Diggs or it was any number of the Bengals, there were several moments where the deep ball was open as receivers just run a straight line against cornerbacks who I think are reluctant to play the position the same way on a field like that versus a field that has no weather issue. Yeah, I brought this up on Friday, um, and uh, thankfully I did not jinx him. Those jinxes aren't true. I brought this up uh, to Black on on, on Crosstalk. Um, It was the... The biggest discrepancy between kickers going into the Dallas-San Francisco game, and it lived up to it. Uh, Robbie Gold, our good friend, went four for four, including one from 51. And he was true in every single kick. And one of our fans tweeted, San Francisco's just trolling Dallas right now with basically just making only field goals. They only scored one touchdown. And... The anticipation over Dallas's first extra point was the most anticipated extra point maybe ever. Like in my house, the entire family, I've never seen this before, were the two two boys, my wife, we gathered around the TV for an extra point. It's usually like you just go and you grab a beverage, someone goes to the bathroom. We gathered around to see what would happen with Maher, and it lived up to expectation as it was blocked. And it would have been way wide way left. Way left. Yeah. Hey, crazy. So my good is is Robbie Gold just showing them what a what a twenty-eight for twenty-eight now. It's fabulous. In the postseason. It's good as gold. Money. Money. What do you guys have? What's your good? My good, I'm gonna piggyback on Waddles, Bengals, Bills conversation here. Joe Burrow. I mean, obviously. He, we all knew he was good, but what he did on Sunday when you go in on the road as an underdog in the playoffs and beat a highly touted opponent, which clearly the Bills and Josh Allen were, he showed everything that he's worth. And bad on the Bills, too, because the game plan they put forth defensively was not good at all. They just allowed Joe Burrow, who, like, to your point, Waddle, about the the uh, the surface, when you have a, an accurate quarterback like Joe Burrow out there, He's just zipping the ball right where it needs to be. The Bills did very little to try and confuse him. And they played into Joe Burrow's strength, which was accuracy, which he could take advantage of in yesterday's game. Something that Josh Allen clearly did not. So Joe Burrow and the Bengals, good game by that. I wonder how hurt Josh Allen is. I'm sure the elbow has never been, you know, 100% right. He was so up and down in the second half of the season. The decision making wasn't very good. Just wonder how hurt he is because I I thought there was a clear difference between his play and Burroughs' play yeah. as Mellor's. No talking. touchdowns, right? No, he had zero touchdowns in that game. Nope. Tyler, you're good. My good is Travis Kelsey. He continues to be on a playoff tear. He had a pair of touchdowns. He actually hadn't scored a touchdown this season since week 12. So it's been quite a hiatus for him. But two touchdowns, 98 yards, 14 of the 27 receptions. 
uh, for uh, Chiefs receivers. He had 10 catches in the first yeah. half. So he's had 95 or more receiving yards in each of his last seven playoff games. Mm. He's could, been on a tear. Well, we could have uh, named Kittle good, too. Like, yeah. Yeah, that catch uh, is... That, that could be dirty. Like That, that catch. catch, like I was watching the game, and I was like, what a great catch. Nine out of ten times, somebody cleans his clock after one tip of the ball. He was fortunate that no one was on the other side because he was allowed to kind of juggle yeah. the ball for an extended period of time. Did Greg Olson tell a story, too, that he uh, that he basically smacked his ass and then basically ruined his pants? Did he tell that story on the air? Did I hear that right? I didn't He's hear that. send him a bill for the suit pants or something? Maybe you know they're did. good friends from oh, uh, yeah. tight end you. I did hear him tell Kevin Burkhart that... At the Super Bowl, he may be singing a, a Rihanna song in you know at halftime, and and if he gets into it enough, Burkhart may be on his own as the second oh, half kicks off. It me just and I Craig think Greg, great. I think Greg has distinguished himself, at least in my humble opinion, as the best color analyst in the NFL. So can I go to my bad then? Sure. Since a, it, it's a kickoff, like and and I always give Black credit for this because Black was the first one on the Romo bandwagon when everyone, including me was singing his praises because he was so different. And we were all like, wow, Roma's a breath of fresh air. Predicting things. It's just now that we're aware of it, there were so many times yesterday where he utters the phrase, I don't know. That's the last thing you want your analyst to say. I don't know if you guys remember, Hurst had the hurdle play for the first down, and... The analyst, Tony Romo, says to Jim Nance, he goes, Jim, what was what was that? Third and what? You're the analyst. You're the quarterback. How do you not know that was third and ten? And then there was the other play where it was, was that? Ooh, that looks like it might have been Newton Ford, but it also looks like a fumble. I don't know. There you go, right? <laughs> This happens 10 times a game. Thank you, Mellor. I was wondering. I thought a button was hit. You had support for me. Thank you. He like it, it happens 10 times a game where it's like, that's a perfect throw. But no, it's not a perfect throw because it's outside. He contradicts himself. He doesn't know anything. He talks too much. Do you know what else he doesn't know? The Bengals defensive coordinator's name. I enjoy listening to Greg Olson call a game. I ignore most of the other people. I know you do. I know you're able to do that more so than other people. But it really is comical how oh, I know. He's, he's the quarterback, and he doesn't know the down and distance of a crucial third down play. You're the analyst you're supposed to know. Did you see the moment where they came on camera late in the game and he had just put a piece of gum in his mouth? Yes, they caught him chewing. <laughs> And Jim Nance actually started laughing, too. Like, next time, brother, I won't ask you a question after you just put a stick of gum in your mouth. He, look, he's affable. I'm sure he's a really, really nice guy. But and then he was talking about, at the end of the game, he was talking about the disrespect that the Cincinnati Bengals were getting all across the league. By the way, it was Tony Romo in, like, the week four game or whenever they the Bills played at the Chiefs and the Bills beat the Chiefs. Tony Romo was proclaiming that the Bills were Michael Jordan beating the Pistons then, overcoming the bad boy Pistons in the regular season. Wasn't a good day for Tony. 
My bad was it wasn't a good day for Dak Prescott either. Biggest stage of his career, coming off maybe his best career performance the week before against Tampa Bay. He did throw for 206 yards. He had a touchdown, but he had two of the ugliest interceptions you have ever seen. And when they needed him to step up and be the reason why they won or why they were going to get over the top, he did not deliver. And I just thought... I said going into the game, this is going to be one of those legacy-type games for Dak. This is his seventh year. He may be able to change the narrative going forward. He's not done playing in the National Football League. But if you summarize who Dak Prescott is through seven years in the NFL, one of the first things you're going to think about is those two. And again, it's fresh on our mind, but it's going to be those two interceptions he threw against the 49ers yesterday, which were both gross. Gross. That's a good way to describe it. What do you got? I've got a double dose of bad coming your way from that Chiefs-Jaguars game. Of course, Patrick Mahomes getting injured in the playoffs absolutely sucks because watching what he did on that first drive was absurd. You know, we were talking about he's being dragged down by Devin Lloyd and still getting, you know, completing passes. He's jumping off of his foot to complete passes. Like, even when the Jaguars were putting forth a good defensive effort, there was nothing they could do. And then he injures his ankle. And even though it was a great story to have him come back and lead the Chiefs to victory, I still don't want a compromised Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, especially when you've got Mahomes versus Burrow. So I was bummed about that. And then in that game, if you guys happen to catch uh, Sean Hockley when he tried to prematurely put his mic on? Everybody shut up. Yeah, I heard that. (laughs) (laughs) And then they they came back and said, wasn't it, was it a Chirico game? And Chirico said, obviously, that that was... Uh, the the officials Mike was on because I think Mike wanted to clean up the thought yeah, or he any was... thought that it may have come from their broadcast. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. For Henny got hit. Everybody shut up. Hey. You hear Mike go? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> For Henny got hit. Everybody shut up. Henny got hit. Hey. Everybody shut up. It's fantastic. Tyler, you're bad. My bad, Bills Mafia. It felt like they didn't show up for the biggest game of the year. They were getting absolutely drowned out by Bengals fans in their home stadium. Bills Mafia, in the biggest game of the year, I heard whenever T. Higgins would make a catch, I heard, it was overwhelmingly T. And then at the end of the game, too, they overpowered Bills Mafia. Bad on did them. You, did you You're see with like, Bills fans? With, I think three Awful. and a half Over to go. fan base. Three and, three and a half minutes to go, they came back and they showed the stadium. It was virtually empty. And I get... I mean, I get that the game was in hand for the Bengals. That's the last game of the year for the Bills. I yeah. would like to make it clear that that opinion is held by Tyler Aki. Yeah. And that's... I don't want Bills. Yeah, that is Tyler me. Aki. Yeah, me. Own it. Yes. All right, let's get to the dirties coming up next. And then at 5 o'clock, I want to have a good... Um, uh, uh, how quickly could the Bears turn it around? And how do they relate to some of the teams that did turn it around in this year's playoffs? We'll do the comparisons. All that coming up next. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitch at ESPN 1000 Chicago. Waddle and Sylvie are back on Chicago's Home for Sports. ESPN Chicago. All right, uh, the conversation continues on the good, the bad, the dirty. We've made it through our good and our bad. Let's get to our dirty. Anything that we perceive as dirty from the weekend, Waddle. Uh, my dirty is the behavior of a guy that I think has done great things in their community as well as really nice things on the field. I thought Stephon Diggs' uh, behavior during the game just kept screaming at his quarterback. He was frustrated. I get it. 
And then several, it says several players chose to exit the locker room quickly after the game, but most notable was wide receiver Stephon Diggs, who first tried to leave with his things before some coaches were able to come down to the locker room. He was brought back to the locker room by practice squad running back Duke Johnson, then quickly left soon after around when others began leaving for a lot of Duke people. Duke Johnson had to bring him back. Duke Johnson had to bring him back. Duke Johnson, who's been in the league for a while? I think so, with yeah. Cleveland? Yeah. Like, I get it. You're you're frustrated. You're an awesome player. And he's done a lot of wonderful things. And I think yeah. they love him in Buffalo. With kids, too. Yeah, but come on. Yeah, you don't need right. to be doing that. No, I know. It's I a know. team sport. You're right, yeah. Your quarterback has thrown the ball to you quite a bit over the course of the last couple of years. This 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 story should probably, we should use more time for it, too. And I would like to designate some more time to it. The Shannon Sharp story that I woke up to from Friday night into I, I, when I woke up on Saturday, I'm like, wait a minute. Shannon Sharp got into it with the Memphis Grizzlies. And by that, you mean the entire Memphis Grizzlies. I, I didn't know what happened. I like I checked the phone in the morning when I woke up and I checked Twitter and I'm like, what, what's going on here? What What happened here? It's because he's a LeBron defender and he was talking smack to the Grizz. I don't understand this. I like that the NBA has been policing fan etiquette more recently. You know, Draymond Green sees someone in the crowd that's talking smack. They kick him out of the game. LeBron's had people kicked out yeah, quite a Russell bit. Yeah, Russell Westbrook. You talk smack, you get thrown out of the game. Why is there an exception for Shannon Sharp? Don't know. Why is that, like, all funny? Why is LeBron defending him? That I don't know. Like, I, I, was thought, hoping- I thought there's this new thing that... You're not a part of the game. You're there to watch and to enjoy the game. If you want to cheer and boo, that's cool. But if you're getting involved in the game and involved with players, that, that's they're not. No. Zoo- you shouldn't Zoo- be treated. You shouldn't be treated any differently than an, an average right. fan. If that was Joe Fan, out rich dude who who wasn't on television with Skip Bayless. He would have been kicked out of the game. Why was Shannon Sharp allowed back in his seat? I don't know. I was hoping that Steven Adams and him would wrestle on the floor. Oh, you wanted to see him? Oh, I did. Like, part of me, the meatball in me, wanted to see Steven Adams and Shannon Sharp rolling around on the floor. Am I, am I wrong here on that? No, I, mean, I think you're 100% right. If that is anyone that doesn't have the notoriety of a Shannon Sharp, you're kicked out. You're not allowed to get back in your seat and watch your match. Didn't they? He, LeBron's he went, defending him. LeBron's yeah. been in front of, hey, let's not let's not treat our athletes in this way. Let's not talk smack. You're not a part of the game. But LeBron's like, I love that he has my back and I have his back. Wait, which is it? Double standard. It is. Can't you, t- you can't toss a man who's wearing a sweater like that from the uh, stadium. Zetterman wore a sweater out of the Shannon Sharp collection today. <laughs> um, my dirty gentleman, I've got uh, a double dose of Nick Sirianni for you. Did you happen to catch when uh, the Eagles were up 27 to nothing? He sent his offense out to potentially try and draw the Giants offside 4 2. And sure enough, the uh, Fox uh, boom mics caught him on the sidelines. I know what I'm doing. You know what I did? Yes, he, he, he was ran, being asked. Well, he ran all the way down to basically the goal line and the coach's well, box. Yes, he was out of the coach's box and the official, like one of the guys that's not officiating, but anyway, he said, hey, you got to get over there. You're in the wrong spot. Yeah. Yes. He, he went too far down the sidelines and he was not happy. I know what I'm doing. 
and the box cameras caught it. But then post game, he went here. Did you hear where he went? With MJ. This, this was dirty. I know this is high praise, but to have him out there is like having uh, nah, I shouldn't even go there, but like he's having like Michael Jordan out there. Like he's your leader. He's your leader. He's your guy. He's your like like that's hopefully that's the biggest respect I can pay to him uh, compare, comparing to his ability to being on the field uh, to a, to a Michael Jordan type like this guy. That's a bit much hyperbolic. Living in the moment doesn't bother me. I mean, does it? Bother what me? really? Michael Jordan? Really? That's where we're going with Michael Jalen Hurts? Jordan type. Okay. I thought it was we a little over the top. But, you I know, know they're going to the NFC, on his part of the NFC title game. What, what do you got, Tyler? Wrap us up. Uh, did you guys see the video of Joe Burrow in pregame warm-ups? His, he yeah, made the, a throw down the sideline and did the little spin the with pirouette. it. Oh, man. There, there was no chance the Bengals were losing. Just, <laughs> no chance the Bengals Joe were losing cool after that. in every way. Really is. By the way, Mellor, just think. If the 49ers get after Jalen Hurts and, and kind of keep him in check and he mm-hmm. doesn't have a good game and the 49ers advance... You think of the fun that the 49ers are going to have at the expense of that comment about Michael Jordan? Oh, something yeah. I'll be looking for on yeah. Sunday oh, to yeah. see afterwards. That's true. Sure You're right about that. By the way, the Joe Burrow video, did he complete the pass? No, he threw it like out of, you know, he did threw he? it to the sideline. No, they cut the video. They, yeah, they, they, the they video did the pirouette, yeah. but they never show you if the, the ball yeah, was caught. Yeah, but cost. the guy, the one guy that was running down the field was like 30 yards away from where the ball was I don't from. know if it was 30. Cre- creative That's cool. I, I still I still love the guy. I mean, he is he's a, he's he one is. of the coolest athletes yeah. going right now in yes. any sport. Three one two. Didn't they hear what he said too about you know when is your 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 you know what is your your window being open? He goes, my whole career. Yes, it's everything. The cigar from college, and he's been doing that with every step of the celebration along the way, and he's just great. He's a great player. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. If you want to react to anything in the postseason from yesterday, if you want to weave it into the Bears, we'll do that next. I want to bring up uh, something from two years ago, and could the Bears be doing this in two years? Robert Mays didn't think so. He said they're several years away. We'll get into that coming up next.